Hello, and welcome to One Real Good Thing, where we dive into one thing you can do today to propel your life in a healthy direction. I'm Ellie Krieger, and in this episode, I'm talking with Eugenia Bone, an internationally known food and science writer who's an expert on mushrooms. She enlightens us about the incredible culinary and health benefits of mushrooms and shares tips on how to buy, store, and prep them. She also gives us mouthwatering, easy recipe ideas and tips on how to get into mushroom foraging. Plus, she answers an all-important mushroom cooking question. Should you or should you not wash mushrooms? Eugenia Bone, thank you so much for being here. It is great to talk to you. I've been paying attention to your work for quite a while now, and I'm just sort of blown away by it, honestly. Um, so it's really wonderful to have you here. Thanks, Ellie. I'm glad to be here. I would love to start off with getting a sense of how you got into this whole world of studying mushrooms. Like, what led you to this? It's, it's really so much more fascinating than I ever imagined this whole topic. And I'm excited to share the multi layers of it with everyone. But I'd love to hear a little bit about your path. Um, well, my path was one that others have taken as well, and that's the culinary path. So I'm a longtime cookbook writer and recipe developer, and, um, and I'm a master preserver. I've written books about canning, and um, uh, I, I've always loved wild foods. I grew up eating wild foods. Uh, my dad is an Italian-American, and so we never did anything sporty like sailing or play golf, you know, what we did as a family was like, look for mushrooms, look for blueberries, you know, sane for white bait on in the, the low tides. And um, so I had a fondness for foraging for wild foods. And, you know, I was I love to forage as um, up through my whole life. And, um, and my culinary uh, background was very much informed by foraged foods. I especially loved mushrooms. Um, but, um, I didn't have a lot of, uh, exposure to mushrooms living in a loft in lower Manhattan. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there are actually mushrooms growing all over Manhattan as I'm sure you're aware with Gary Linkoff and the New York Mycological Society, they can do a walk, you know, and find mushrooms in the, uh, um, in the bins that like street trees are growing out of, you know? But um, for the culinary ones, no, there wasn't a lot of action. And then my husband and I bought us a cabin in um, Western Colorado. And one year, the uh, porcini came up in uh, just tremendous numbers. And, you know, it's not like I knew very much about hunting wild mushrooms, but I could definitely identify a porcini. I don't know. Maybe it's Italian. Yes. <laughs> but um that got me very excited. I was like, well, why can I find them some years and not others? And, and it was really the desire to um, be able to effectively collect wild mushrooms that, that inspired me to figure out why they lived, where they lived, and when they came up. And then I realized, oh, my God, mycology is this huge subject of nature and with ramifications in every aspect of uh, plants life and our lives and, uh, you know, even the you know whole ecosystems. And uh, so even though I'm still really into culinary mushrooms and still hunt mushrooms and I eat them all the time, I, uh, I spend my days uh, reading about mycology. 
And it is such a fascinating topic. I mean, I just, I grew up just basically eating white mushrooms sliced up in a salad, perhaps, or maybe a mushroom soup here and there. But my husband actually, who introduced me to you. So thank you, Tom. He got into, he really, he started taking some classes at the botanical gardens in New York um, on mycology and started then, you know, telling me about this. And it is just an incredibly vast, it literally is another dimension of our universe. Yeah. It's like finding out, oh, plants. Aren't they cool? Yes. Finding out plants exist or insects, you know? Oh, it is an aha moment that I hope everyone's going to experience right now with us. Um, One of the things from a culinary point of view, just from a nutritional kind of lifestyle point of view, why should people eat more mushrooms? What's so great about them? Oh, there's a lot of great things about it. I mean, it's really, um, I, you know, I I fold mushrooms into my diet in a regular way, just like I fold live bacteria into my diet in a, in a, on a regular um, basis. Which might have sounded strange a few years ago to say that, but now I think everyone knows what that yeah, means. We, like all eating more- some, <laughs> we all want some uh, of those uh, um, probiotics. Probiotic, yeah, those live <laughs> bacteria in us. Um, but anyway, so with mushrooms, uh, the benefits are multifold. Um, they are, um, so I guess just folding them into your diet will It'll increase your culinary opportunities because mushrooms are a food that can be fresh year round if you're buying cultivated mushrooms, since they don't need necessarily to grow outside. So they're not as seasonally predicted um, when it comes to the cultivated varieties. The wild ones you have to pick in the wild, they only come up when they come up. So it's truly a seasonal food. Um, but there's great pleasure in hunting wild mushrooms. That's uh, good to be outside and makes you physically fit. Um, there's the, the neurologist, uh, Dr. Maya Shira, uh, she treat has talked about how, uh, there's actually neurological benefits from hunting mushrooms. Plus they're delicious. All right. So that's that. Now let's look at the specific mushroom. Well, there's a lot of claims about their um, antiviral and, you know, antimicrobial properties and immune boosting, which is like the inverse of immune boosting properties, um, which are, you know, not more anecdotal than actually um, uh, um, established in the literature, the scientific literature, but that doesn't mean that um, information won't be forthcoming. It's just not really there yet. Um, However, Mushrooms are a great source of a range of micronutrients um, like selenium and uh, um, phosphorus and, you know, all kinds of nitrogen, all kinds of good stuff like that. Um, They are a natural prebiotic, which um, your listeners may or may not know that they're, that's bacteria food. Right. Right. (laughs) Well, it's the fiber just to enlighten people. It's the fiber that the good bacteria in your gut eat. So I I say when you have house guests, which are the little good bacteria, when you have house guests, you want to feed them, you want to feed them well. And, and that they like fiber and they happen to like the type of fiber that's in mushrooms among others. I mean, if you think about it, like a glass of kefir and a plate of mushrooms, (laughs) <laughs> it's just a complete, like, 
gut bacteria <laughs> do. <laughs> we'll have to turn that into a good recipe at some point. Maybe there's like a summer soup there or something. <laughs> but also from a nutritional point of view, I think it's interesting also because many people, and I, I think if I look back on lists that I saw of like the best fruits and vegetables to eat, uh, the best produce to eat, you know, from maybe 10 or 20 years ago, mushrooms were always low on the list because they're not rich in the things that most people think of when they think of fruits and vegetables. So they're not rich in vitamin A, they're not rich in vitamin C, but they're packed with B vitamins. They have um, so much potassium. They like one portobello mushroom has around the same potassium as a medium banana. I like to, because people think of bananas as like a big potassium source. So when we look at different nutrients that maybe we're schooled to look at when we're looking at fruits and vegetables, then mushrooms really shine. So I wanted to just shout out those B vitamins and potassium um, beyond the minerals that you had mentioned. Yeah. And and when you um, consume them, I mean, the thing is, if you're folding them into your diet, then they, you know, uh, they kind of add to this whole sort of nutritional bouquet that your meals, you know, should and could be. So I think the, you know, it's a real shame to neglect the kingdom fungi when it comes to a, your, you know, regular diet. And they're also low fat. I mean, sends the butter sauce, right? right. <laughs> right. But they, um, um, I think one of the reasons why nutritionists had also put them pretty low on the scale of, um, you know, recommended uh, vegetables, which a lot of people called them vegetables for a long time, um, is uh, because they are mostly water. Uh, so whatever they've got in them is pretty scant, and that's true. They are mostly water, but the but they also have um, a high grade protein. Not a lot of it, but the protein in it they have all nine amino acids present. So the protein is pretty high grade. And and the way that translates, according to some researchers out of the UK who were working on this kind of a while ago, I haven't seen anything that current on it, but they did these these, um, uh, satiation tests where you, they replaced mushrooms for meats in recipes, like, I don't know, sloppy Joe or something. And they found that not only were people taking in less calories when they ate the mushroom burger or whatever, that but they were also not staying full. They were staying full. They were staying full longer. They were staying full, you know, in ways that were relative to the intake of meat protein. So that was a very interesting and suggested um, that it could be a weight loss um, uh, strategy. Right. That's so interesting. And also, I think one thing that I think this is leading into is the flavor element of mushrooms. So mushrooms are an incredible source of umami, which is the fifth is considered the fifth taste because it's the fifth one to be discovered. Um, and that's the taste of savory deliciousness. Yeah. It's the kind of taste that makes your kind of mouth water. It's, it actually is a protein identifier. Okay. Oh, identify. I think it was, isn't it glutamate that makes it taste that gives it that savory. Yeah. Which is like an amino acid, I believe. So it's your tongue recognizing that amino acid. And that's what, I mean, and so it's a really a great umami builder in recipes. And, um, and that's one of the reasons, another reason to kind of fold them in. So as you said, it's the excitement factor. 
um, which is what you mentioned first. And I think that a lot of people don't realize how many exciting varieties of mushrooms are out there. Like maybe we kind of just beeline to our basic button mushrooms, which is totally fine. I actually really like those. Oh Um, yeah. That's a beautiful mushroom. I mean, (laughs) for sure. Yeah. But there's so much more out there to discover. And I think that just adds so much excitement in your cooking. Um, I would agree with you on that. I mean, I think that it's um, that the the plethora of recipes that are now kind of appearing for mushrooms is a testament to the fact that um, there's a lot of different things you can do with them. So all flavor types and then uh, all flavor palettes, you know, can enjoy it. And then when you add to that, all the vegans and vegetarians out there who have been missing out, I mean, on this great aspect of their potential diet. And it's, um, it's no wonder that the mushroom market is just booming. Yeah. And I'm seeing more variety in the store than ever before, but I just want to backtrack for one second before we get into like some of the culinary aspects of it. And I do, I'm so excited to talk to you about cooking techniques and recipes and things like that. Cause you have so much up your sleeve on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the health benefits, you had mentioned there's, you know, there's research and there's emerging research, right? So there's nothing super definitive. And with nutrition studies in general, it's very difficult to suss out super definitive things with people's diets. So that's one of the difficult parts of nutritional research with any topic. But um, but as it seems, there are you know antimicrobial, potential anti-cancer properties. But what I love about your perspective is that you prefer people don't see them as like medicine per se, or like these supplements and things. Um, And I think this for me extends to the nutrition world in general, like um, to look at it as a food incorporated as a healthful food with healthful properties without reducing it, taking a reductionary approach to it and trying to isolate these compounds. Um, can you explain a little bit about your philosophy on that? Because we had been talking about it earlier and it really struck me that I think you're, we're very like-minded on that subject. Yeah, I, I'm all for, if you're talking about supporting health, I, for me personally, I don't take any supplements. I um, don't take any vitamins. I get it all from the food that I eat. I am lucky that I do not live in a food desert where I can get a variety of vegetables and things, but I also grow a bunch of stuff on my fire escape in New York city. So, um, I really feel that, um, I would prefer to get the nutrients that my body needs, um, through my food. I kind of, I'd say I more like follow the, um, advice of, uh, Dr. Andy Weil, who has mentioned the importance of green medicine versus white medicine. So um, in a green medicine scenario, when you, uh, um, when you are in, ingesting the whole food, there's all of these other benefits that are coming your way nutritionally um, that uh, are not possible from a reductive product, you know, a product that's reduced to, you know, one uh, aspect, one sugar, whatever it is, one amino acid. Um, and so, um, uh, and so in general, you know, a whole food has benefits beyond whatever it is you're targeting for. If you're, let's say, let's, let me put it another way. Um, let's say that you want to benefit from the neurogenitive potential of lion's mane mushroom. Well, you can take a supplement 
for lion's mane mushroom. And maybe that does it. I don't know. Nobody knows for sure, but maybe it does. Um, but if you eat the mushroom, you benefit from the mushroom. You benefit if those neurogenitive, uh, regenerative, regenerative. Uh, <laughs> I know that's such so a hard one. <laughs> regenerative um, properties are actually present. You'll benefit from that, but you'll also be getting the nutrients we discussed earlier, as well as a meal. So, um, uh, so my approach is, is in a way, exceedingly pragmatic and a little cheap. <laughs> I don't want to buy that expensive stuff. I love this notion of green medicine because it assumes that we don't know everything about what's in that food in a yeah. way. If we eat the whole food, then we know we're getting everything in it. And what re is remarkable to me is that we're discovering new active components of food practically weekly. So you know, not worrying about taking a million different pills that may or may not even work. And as you say, are expensive, but eating the food and enjoying it. And then you, like you say, you get a meal. So like, let's talk about cooking mushrooms, actually backing up from cooking mushrooms. When you're in the store and you're going to choose mushrooms, let's say, um, how, what do you look for? I mean, I, I think sometimes they look I know it's harder sure, than yeah. other times. <laughs> so the one, I think one of the, something that's really helpful to think of is that um, uh, is a little bit about the mycology. So a mushroom is like the fruit or the flower of, uh, of the fungus. So the fungus is like an, imagine it as an underground apple tree and the mushroom is like the apple. And so when it comes to selecting them, it, whether it's um, in the store, in the bins in the store, or out in the woods collecting, um, you uh, want to select um, specimens that are um, that smell fresh, that don't smell sulfury, um, or like ammonia-ish. Those would be a sign of it beginning to rot. Um, you, they shouldn't be slimy. They should be, you know, dry. They should not be wrinkly. They should be relatively smooth. Um, think of it like when you buy a piece of fruit, just apply the same, uh, you know, the same, uh, values to it, the, you know, the same standards, <laughs> you know, like if you go to an apple orchard to pick apples, you're not going to pick the wrinkly, <laughs> right. right. Apple, same thing goes with the mushrooms. Right. So not, uh, you're not going to pick the mushy apple with the wrinkly skin that smells kind of like acidic. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So, so the same thing goes with the mushrooms. They treat them like fruits and flowers. And in fact, when you get them home, it's a good idea to think of them like berries. So if you wash the mushrooms and then put them in a plastic bag in the fridge, it won't take long before they're covered in mold in a secondary fungus. The best thing to do is to, um, uh, and, and if you let, if you don't wash them and you put them in a paper bag in the fridge, they should hold well for a few days. If they are in there for too long, let's say they're in the back and you've forgotten about them and they get really wrinkly and dryish, they'll be tough when you eat them. And that's because they've gotten rid of they've, they've, some of their water has evaporated and the cell walls of um, of fungi of mushrooms is um, made of, among other things, uh, something called chitin. And chitin is this really, really tough stuff. It's the same stuff as like um, a shrimp shells are made from. Um, and the the chitin is uh, um, uh, the chitin ratio to water in the mushroom 
changes from lots of water, a little bit of chitin to was a, a little bit more chitin present when all that water evaporates. And that's why it becomes, you know, kind of chewy and tough. Oh. Not bad. It's just that you're getting a lot of chitin, which you can't, you probably can't break down unless you've got the enzyme chitinase, which many of us don't, unless you come from like, I don't know, an insect eating culture or something. <laughs> so, so you got that chitinase, it goes down in your body, uh, it goes down into your gut where it is enjoyed by fiber fermenting bacteria. Right. Those bacteria love that chitin yeah. probably. That was my first yeah. thought. Um, so, but ideally you want to eat them, you know, as soon as possible, keep them in, I'm just going to reiterate what you said, yeah. keep yeah. them in a paper bag in the refrigerator. Yeah. Yeah. And then in terms of washing them, so there's this sort of rule, never wash your mushrooms, never yeah. put them underwater. Yes. And that's BS. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Silly. Is everyone listening here? Cause this is like silly. revolutionary. It's silly. I mean, half the time we're picking mushrooms in the rain. <laughs> it's just silly. Yes. You can wash mushrooms. You just don't want to wash mushrooms and put them in a baggie in your fridge. Uh, just like a piece of fruit, you know, or like berries, as I mentioned earlier, definitely wash mushrooms before you eat them. There's a lot of cultivated, um, a lot of uh, um, mushroom cultivators use insecticides so yeah, wash them. Um, and, uh, you know, when it comes to wild mushrooms, you definitely want to wash them because they could have bugs on them and, you know, pine needles or whatever. So you can, because of those cell walls of, of mushrooms that are made of chitin, as I mentioned earlier, they're actually pretty tough. Um, and so in many cases, you can- Tough like hardy, not like tough, like difficult. Tough like, <laughs> yeah, tough like, mm, I'm strong. They can, you can- put a bunch of mushrooms into a bowl of water and swish enthusiastically <laughs> mushrooms to get all this, you know, whatever the grime is that's on them, whatever off. Um, and they will maintain their integrity. Some mushrooms like uh, morels, which have these very, very thin walls around their kind of convoluted caps um, that it could cause a little crumbling, especially as they get older. Um, but, um, uh, you know, with utilizing a little bit of, you know, sort of observational sense, like, oh, I'm being too rough with the mushrooms. Yeah. Wash your mushrooms before cooking, but don't wash them until you're ready to cook them. Great, great well, advice. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's going to go a long way for everybody. I know <laughs> if you walk away with one thing, walk yeah. away with that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why um, would you not? People do spray um, uh, insecticides on them in the cultivated, uh, you know, in, on, in mushroom farms. So then when you're cooking them, I feel like one of the tricks of cooking mushrooms well, though, is getting the water out of them. <laughs> I don't know if you'll agree with that, but that's for me. I really don't. I don't like if they're too spongy. I kind of really like a firm browned mushroom. And in order to get to that browning stage, you kind of have to get the water evaporated first. So it might take a little longer to do that when you're cooking them after you wash them, but it'll get there eventually in a hot pan. Um, but do you agree yeah, they, with that? Yeah, yeah. They don't really absorb water. You know, uh, that's not so much a problem. I mean, like a, the, the, the beliefs that have pores rather than gills, um, you know, if you soak those, uh, the, uh, the cap of a mature bleat in, um, in water, then the pores could, you know, get a little, um, you know, spongy with, with water, but in general, yeah, you, you want one of the sort of, you want to cook your mushrooms in general. It's a good idea to always cook a mushroom through. There's only a few species that are 
known to be safe to eat raw. A lot of them, like a morel, you can't eat a morel raw, you'll get pretty sick. But it's an incredibly delicious mushroom when it's cooked. And that's the case with them, um, with a number of species. So the rule of thumb um, that those of us in the like mycophagy world, the world of mushroom eating, is you want to cook a mushroom to make sure it's thoroughly cooked, because it's not like you can take its temperature with your meat thermometer so easily. But to be sure it's cooked, um, you uh, want to cook it until it has released its water and then the water evaporates. And that's usually between six and 10 minutes, and that'll do it. And obviously a sliced mushroom is going to cook faster than a, and then a, than a big chop, you know, mushroom, right? Yeah. So the more surface area it has, the faster it's going to cook. And this is the poetic part to me too, because that's when it's most delicious anyway. So I think, you know, there's this intuitive sense in a way of deliciousness, like they're delicious once that has happened, once they've cooked all the way through, release their moisture. And then, so what about um, like cooking them in a soup or something where you're, all those compounds are staying in the pot? That's fine. It's just a matter of getting them up to temperature for long enough. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's really just to, you know, yeah, it's, it's to kind of stop the enzymatic action in, um, in the mushrooms and then they're fine to eat. And so if you're doing, um, let's say you're doing a soup, that's a really cook, quick cook on it. You can always pre-cook your mushrooms and then complete your soup. You know, it's, it's um, the thing about cooking mushrooms the, um, is that, you know, to, until their water is released is it concentrates, it, con- it concentrates the sugars in the mushrooms. So that's why they have that more flavorful, um, you know, yummy quality when you eat a mushroom raw, like um, we eat the young porcini um, sliced very, very thin in the Italian style called like a carpaccio. Um, it's, we slice it very, very thin on a mandolin and then just put olive oil, some salt and some uh, uh, shaved Parmesan cheese on it. It's a classic Italian preparation. In that case, the flavor is extremely mild. It's not concentrated like when I cook those porcini on a grill. It's very, very mild, um, but it's also really um, esoteric, you know, and very lovely. It's just delicate. Yeah. So then I'm assuming in terms of the mushrooms that you can eat raw, so porcini is one of them, and I guess white button mushrooms, since I grew up eating those. (laughs) White buttons, the agaricus um, bisporus, yes. And then... um, the uh, um, Amanita Caesarea, the Caesar's mushroom, the Italians call them ovally. Oh, I've never heard of those. Yeah, See, there's. Wonderful. Yeah, when you go, next time you go to Italy in the fall and they have ovuli on the, you know, insalata di ovuli, a, 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 it's a salad with a raw Amanita Caesarea, um, um, you know, Caesar's mushrooms, like very thin. They are delicious. Um, and then uh, the not all porcinis are okay to eat raw. Some will cause a little. I've been known to cause a little dis, stomach distress, but I think we should, you know, kind of characterize this um, on an anecdotal level, right? So some people might have an adverse reaction to some, like some people have an adverse reaction to chicken of the woods mushrooms. They just do. It makes them, you know, gives them stomach upset or makes their lips tingle or something like that. Other people have none. The majority of people have none. So this is the case with a lot of wild mushrooms. You know, you have to sort of, when you first start experimenting with wild mushrooms, it's a good idea to 
A, eat it very plain, you know, have a small amount very plain so you can see what it actually tastes like, you know, because there's a lot of flavors that are subtle and it'll bring up in your mind things that it might marry with, but also to see how your body reacts, you know, does your body like this mushroom or is it going to freak out about some little weird protein in the mushroom and and decide no. Mm -mm. And that can happen with any ingredient, really. I mean, some people, peppers disagree with them and sometimes people can't handle garlic. So this is not so unusual in our world. Um, But I think there's a lot of fear around mushrooms in general because they can be poisonous, you know, um, but not the ones we get at the store, of course. But when you're going to forage, if you're wanting to learn how to forage mushrooms, um, how do you suggest people start to do that? Like what's, what's the first thing you'd suggest people do if they're looking to start experimenting with foraging? Well, I think the it's interesting that foraging is really, uh, or identifying mushrooms, I think is best learned peer to peer. So, and that's because, you know, you can have a book with beautiful pictures on it, and then you go out in the woods and it's like, nothing looks like, you know, you cannot find it. Because there's all kinds of things that happen in the woods to a mushroom. You you might see it at a different age than it's pictured in the book. You might, that mushroom might've been exposed to different environmental conditions so that it it bleached out or, you know, it malformed or some, or something. So, you know, books are wonderful and I'm not disparaging them, but if you go out in the woods with somebody and they say, okay, you see that chanterelle, look at the tree that it's growing under, that's their habitat. And then you can see babies and old ones and rotten ones, and you get to see them in all of their different characteristics, which gives you that confidence that you'll need next time you see one, you know, on your own. And in order to get that, to find that mentor, you know, in a peer-to-peer relationship, the I think the best thing to do is to join a mycological society. They are all over the country um, and they are great. This is all the mycological societies can be found by going to the North American Mycological Association's website and pull down the menu clubs and then go to your state and you'll find some states have many clubs, others just a few, depending on how much um, uh, habitat they have that's conducive to a diversity of uh, fungi, of mushroom, of fungi that produce mushrooms. Um, and then, you know, they're like cheap. In New York, our, the New York Mycological Society costs 20 bucks a year to join. All the forays are within, um, uh, are accessible by public transportation. And for that 20 bucks a year, we, the, the society provides um, forays every weekend, even off season. So, you know, in the winter, they're looking at like, I don't know, like stuff that looks like vomit on sticks. <laughs> um, but in the summer, they're looking for chanterelles. Um, and, uh, uh, and regular lectures by professional mycologists and, and, uh, before COVID mycophagy events, like, um, you know, dinners and not so much, we haven't really kind of gotten up to speed again so much post COVID, but, um, that's typical, uh, that's a typical agenda for a mushroom club. So it is a, if you're interested in mushrooms, it's a bar. Oh, that's great for families. And, you know, people bring their dogs. I mean, that's great. And first of all, mycophagy is now my new favorite word. I'm instead of next time eating a mushroom, I'm going to say I'm participating in mycophagy right now. (laughs) 
<laughs> and impress my friends or annoy them, depending. <laughs> um, but I think what you're getting at here is something that leads well into the title of your new book, um, because uh, there's really a community here. So I think that's another benefit of starting to forage or to with this interest in mushrooms that you can really tap into a rich wonderful, welcoming community of people who are interested in this. And with that, um, I'd love to talk a little bit about your new cookbook, which is the Fantastic Fungi Community Cookbook, which just came out this year. And it is a fabulous book. Um, And it's just so, there's so many great ideas in this book. And and if you could tell us a little bit about this book and and actually what is the Fantastic Fungi Community? (laughs) All right. So, um, uh, about, uh, you know, I don't know, it was two years ago, I guess, or 18 months ago, well, not two years ago now, um, Louis Schwartzberg, the director of the movie, Fantastic Fungi, um, reached out to me and he said, uh, oh, I want you to, would you be willing to do a mushroom cookbook? And I was like, oh, you know, who cares? There's like, there's so many good forager chef cookbooks out there. I was like, who needs one by me? But then <laughs> I was in the, I was driving with my husband and I was kind of moaning and complaining about that. And, and he said, um, well, why don't you reach out to all your mushroom friends? And that's when it hit me that, you know, it's true. I I'm connected to this wide community of, of, um, of mycophiles and all, yeah, most of them love to eat mushrooms and cook mushrooms and have all kinds of ideas and years of experience. And then I realized, wow, that the fantastic fungi uh, community, the people who are fans of the movie or got turned on to mushrooms because they saw the movie, that that's a group that we could also reach out to and see, hey, do you have any recipes that you love to do? So that's what we did. Louis loved the idea. And it worked for him because for Louis, um, at least in the way I see what he's doing, I think what he's doing is uh, he sees that that um the that mycelium which is the the sort of vegetative part of the fungus that's underground um that my that uh, the, the the mycelium that connects trees in an ecosystem it's a certain kind called mycorrhizal fungi um that this that mycelium of this sort that connects trees and helps trees in an ecosystem is a metaphor for the fact that uh, for common good, that we all do better when we help each other. And so that became sort of an operating principle for this book. Like let's all throw in and, you know, do the best book we can. So we created an interactive um, uh, um, recipe platform on the fantastic fungi website and said, got a recipe put it up. It's can live up here. We're, you know, share with each other. That's great. Um, and if it turned out, and my plan was, if it turned out we had enough recipes, then um, that there was enough recipes that were submitted that uh, that were on the website that were good, that I would do a book from that. And indeed, lots of people submitted recipes. Lots of them were great. And so I was testing them all like mad and trying to put together a collection from there and then reaching out to some of the chefs I know who are into mushrooms and some of the mycophagists I know who have good recipes that I've had before. And, you know, and and so over the course of time, we put together, you know, this collection and the challenge, you know, was to get a variety of mushrooms and to get a variety of recipe types. and to try to represent the diversity of the community 
um, as much as I could. And frankly, I don't even know what the diversity of the community is. I mean, I didn't ask people's like ethnic backgrounds or anything, but um, to the extent that they were there and they wanted to participate, then that's who the, that's, that's who, that's the community the book represents. Well, it really does. (laughs) Yeah, it really does. And so what are some of your favorite recipes in the book? Can you, can you shout Uh, out any? I have so many. Um, So what's your, can you say a top three? I know when people ask me that about my own yeah, recipes, sorry. it's basically an impossible it's question. So I apologize. Okay. So I'll tell you what I make on a regular basis. Yes. Like in regular rotation. I constantly make, um, hold on a second. I'm going to pull out the book so I get her name. And while you- this has got 50 different authors in it too, which oh is Oh my really- goodness. Well, uh, while you're looking for that, I want to also tell everyone that this fen- fantastic fungi movie, I think it's on Netflix, is it? Yes. Yeah, it's amazing, you guys. And you'll get to see Eugenia on there because she was in the movie. And it's it really opens your eyes to the wonders of mushrooms. And I highly recommend it. It's a really fun watch. Yeah, it's a lot of fun and beautiful pictures of mushrooms emerging from soil. Um, okay, so I love and make frequently the dried porcini onion dip, Mm. you know, like an onion dip, but just with dried porcini um, in it. And it's incredibly tasty. Oh my God. It's by a woman named Alison Gardner. Um, And the, you know, dried porcini, you can get there. It's widely available, you know, in in, uh, like specialty stores. Yeah. Oh, while you're on this topic of dried porcini, I actually like to grind up dried porcinis and mix it with salt and pepper like freshly cracked pepper and just press it onto meat or chicken and cook yeah. that like that. Dried porcini adds such a beautiful earthy umami level, whole other level yeah. of flavor. Yeah. So. It makes a great rub and it's fantastic. If you mix it with a softened butter and then reform it, and then you put that on like anything you would dress with butter, like a steak or whatever, a uh, hamburger, you know, it's just Ooh, potato. That would be so good with potatoes. potatoes. Absolutely. So then another that I make quite a bit um, is the, uh, well, I, I, I'm going to actually go, you know, up the scale of dishes and say, and the next one I'll mention is the a pasta dish. And this dish comes from, um, uh, from, uh, Michael, um, hold on. Let me remember. Hold on. Give me one second. That was the, um, farfalle with, uh, 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 farfalle with black trumpets and gorgonzola sauce. Oh boy. That oh sounds so good. 50 shades of mustiness. <laughs> it's like erotic. So, and that's by, uh, Michael Wood, who's got a fantastic website called Myco Web, and it's like authoritative about um, t- mushroom taxonomy, and he sort of um, analyzes the or uh, summarizes up to date science. It's a fantastic site. Anyway, it's delicious. It's so unctuous. And then I've gone on and done gnocchi with black trumpets and um, gorgonzola. And now the black trumpet, of course, is why is it's ubiquitous. You can find it all over the country. And it's a, can you buy that in a store too now? I am dried. Yes. Okay. Um, you can sometimes see them fresh. Like if you live in California and, you know, you go to the Berkeley bowl, you can get everything there, but here in New York, which is a little bit impoverished in terms of wild mushrooms uh, retail, um, I still see it on occasion. Yeah. And I think it's changing a lot. I've noticed a huge 
increase in variety in mushrooms in the past couple of years. I think they're doing something with distribution or whatever that you can really get a bigger variety now here in New York. You know, I mean, it really is a matter of um, demand. So, you know, people are going to buy it. If people go, oh, black trumpets and they buy them, then, you know, like after everyone hears this podcast, there's going to be everyone asking their grocer for some black trumpets. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> They're great with dried. So it's no problem to the black trumpets dry really, really well. So the other one that I've been, that I really make, I like make it for company all the time. And what that is, is that's a fillet of beef, a beef fillet. So I, you know, I get those expensive fillets. I sometimes I I buy them at Costco. Okay. And they're really good. <laughs> and so I get the beef fillets um, and I make this dish and it's a beef filet with chanterelle marsala sauce. Now I've done it with belites. Um, with belites. Now what are, but when you say belites, explain uh, what that is. The fresh porcini, like belites edulis or belites ruperceps. So um, porcini is a belite mushroom. Is um, What about portobello? Is that a belite? Nope. That's an, a, that, a portobello. Oh, so here's a little weird factoid. Um, portobello, uh, cremini, and white button are all the same mushroom. Oh, they're all agaricus bisporus. Yeah, they are just different colors. Uh, white button is agaricus bisporus. That's white. And a cremini is an agaricus bisporus. That's brown. And a portobello is a mature cremini. It's oh just my goodness. grown up to open its cap and have gills with you know, all that brown, sp- that brown dust, all the spore on it. Um, and they... If they have any taste differences, well, then you're, if anybody can taste the difference, then your palate is a lot more sophisticated than well, because I can't, but the portobello does have a little bit of a, a more flavor, a different flavor because spore is mature on it and spore has flavor too. So the belit is again, porcini, you said? Yeah. So a belit is the, the genus. Uh, so porcini is like, um, uh, porcini is, see, this is, mm, it gets complicated. Well, it's, it's just that when, when we say porcini, we're using a common name and the common name applies to a number of different species. So the genus is Belitus, um, and the species could be Belitus edulis, Belitus, Belitus ruberceps, and so on. The porcini refers to all, to a number of Belita species. So a whole class of species, really. It's just a whatever a handful of them that are particularly uh, delicious by Italian standards. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all we really need to know when it comes down well, to it. Is <laughs> Italian word, and I guess so they, they have the, the bragging rights, but um, it's always a good idea. And I know that for your listeners who are just getting into mycology, it can seem like a long haul and it kind of is, you know, to get used to the Latin binomials, but um, you will definitely uh, benefit from specificity by, um, by saying, by using the Latin binomials because, you know, common names change from one place to another. Right. Right. Well, I think for a lot of people, a lot of people who are interested in mycology and want to go there and start to explore that more, absolutely. And for a lot of people, it literally is about 
branching out from your basic white button mushroom to exploring some of the more of the options in the store and dried porcini, um, portobello mushrooms, um, chanterelles, uh, dried mushrooms, actually economically, I think they're also, you know, make sense. They're shelf stable. You know what? Here's the thing. Not all mushrooms dry equally. Some of the, you know, so a little bit of knowledge really can make the difference. It's sort of like buying truffles. You know, if you know what you're doing, you have a great experience. If you don't, you can get screwed. But the, um, uh, like fresh in the markets now, you can find maitake, which is also called hen of the woods. The Latin binomial is Grifola frondosa. And they're also, we find them all over the East Coast here. Um, so that is a fresh mushroom that is now um, appearing in your supermarkets. And it's a delicious mushroom. It's not so great dried. Oh, Losing interesting. Um, it's, it's delicious rich. roasted. Those roasted. Oh, yeah. It's a really, you know, it has, a, it's really hearty. It can do a lot. It can take a, a beating. <laughs> It really tastes good, but just not dried. So interesting. So if you're going for dried, so uh, we've established that the dried porcinis are so delicious. delicious. The dried black trumpets are delicious. Delicious. The morels, delicious. Chanterelles, no, not so good. Some people say, okay, they're kind of great. You know, they could, but I don't think so. And most um, mycophagists that I know um, agree with me that the to dry it's to dry a chanterelle is, is, um, is, is a shame. But if, if you look, if you, if you look upon a good patch of chanterelles and you want to preserve, they freeze beautifully. In fact, all mushrooms freeze really, really well to my experience, except maybe, you know, these really fragile ones like enoki, you know, the little thin, um, the little white ones that look like little white nails, the ones you get in the Japanese soup kind of. Yeah, just because they kind of get the you know the the freezing the 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 freezing kind of beats them up a little bit, but they in general mushrooms freeze really really well again because of the chitin. You know they have these tough cell walls, so they're able to really hold their stuff together um, despite the extremities of a, a frozen environment. Well, I know my appetite is completely just. My mouth is watering thinking about that dried porcini onion dip. And it is watering thinking about those steaks with the chanterelle marsala sauce. I'm definitely making those. So thank you for that. I hope um, I I thank you so much for being here. And is there anything, you know, any parting words you'd like us to to leave thinking about? Um, You know, there's the world of my, here's the thing. If you get into eating mushrooms, it's fantastically satisfying from a culinary uh, perspective. It's, you know, no harm done and probably great for you from a nutritional uh, perspective. Um, but if you, if your experience is like mine and you get into hunting wild mushrooms, um, it ends up being a doorway, at least for me, um, into which I came to understand nature in a deeper way. And that is the gift that keeps on giving. That is a beautiful sentiment and very inspiring. And you are very inspiring. And thank you so much for shedding your wisdom here and, um, and really appreciate you and your wonderful work. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. I hope you're inspired to fold more mushrooms into your life. I know I am. 
Go to elliekrieger.com to learn more about Eugenia Bone and join me next time for another One Real Good Thing.